Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Um, If this is your first week with us, welcome. We move through the scriptures uh, in the same pattern as the Come Follow Me curriculum, even though that's actually not super true today because (laughs) (laughs) the chapters that we were given to choose from were these. And we did most of those, but then we just couldn't help it and added in. A lot. Yeah. And it's also summertime, which means we're trying to move quick through something we call the Summer of Heroes. If you want to know more about that, you can look on the newsletter or past videos um, where we're just highlighting people, heroes through the Old Testament and their lessons. So that you can... 44 yeah. by the end of the summer. Yeah. So you can just kind of do mini lessons every day on that. Today, we're going to have those mini lessons. And then there's also going to be a segment that's just more stories about David. I insisted. I just had to have. I said today, right before we started, we better tell him that David is going to be longer. And he said, King David or me? <laughs> Listen, I, I'm usually quick. And so, but our stories of David, we have that in the journal at the bottom. And we're going to just kind of highlight those stories also. So our five you, heroes plus David, yeah. plus we're living up to our name, all the things you don't want to miss from the Old Testament that aren't even in Come Follow Me. Right. That's what you're getting to do. You needed three weeks for this section. The, I mean, the stories that come from these sections are, there's so many of them. And whoever had to pick at the church, bless their heart for that job, for having to handpick these ones. But um, we went through and picked our favorite ones and buckle up. Um, they're out of order. Like we picked them out of order and there's, there's meaning to the madness of why they're out of order, but we'll tell um, you where we're going. So, you know, just stay with us, but here's the timeline first. Let's put our pieces on. And what you have to know right now is if, if you don't have this up to date yet, now is a really, really good time to get it up to date because of what's about to happen. So you kind of, we've been pretty linear up to this point. And then now now it gets a little wild west, now right? That's the reason why we made the timeline. You're yeah. going to start seeing, oh, this is why I needed this. So take time, get all caught up. Next week, we all of a sudden are putting on so many pieces and then things are going to start filling up. Yes. Okay. So the two you're putting on today are, uh, okay, we have the three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and then we're meeting the third one today, whose name is, you know him, Solomon. And then also his mother and father are right next to each other, Bathsheba. So her story's in this section also. Okay. So those are the two you're putting on. So you kind of know where we're at. All right. Um, Just to kind of help you be smart and like kind of, you know, organize this in your mind a little bit. First Samuel is sort of the story of the rise and fall of King Saul. And second Samuel, sort of the story of the rise and fall of King David, but they overlap a little bit. First and second Samuel weren't two different books originally, but the scroll was so long that it got divided into first and second. So you kind of want to consider the book of Samuel, one long story that includes these two arcs that overlap like McDonald's, you know? And then let's talk about Chronicles right now too. Um, Okay, then you're going to move, well, you're going to move into the book of Kings after it, which is a continuation of the story of Samuel and Chronicles, which is also the story of Samuel and Kings. Does that make sense? So you've got Samuel, Kings, and then underneath them, you have another version of the story, Chronicles, that includes parts of Samuel and Kings, right? Does that make sense? timeline. See, it's going to make sense. We'll, we'll put that piece on next time. So you're like, Oh, that's where it all fits together. We don't do as much from Chronicles in come follow me, except for some of our very most favorite stories are in the book of Chronicles. So anywhere where there's a match, we're going to pull in some of those stories for you. So you'll be able to see them as we go. Yeah. Um, if you want to be really smart about the book of Chronicles, it used to be the very last book of the Hebrew Bible. It ended with the book of Chronicles because it was sort of this story that focused on 
um, the promises of David's kingdom and the promises of a temple to be restored. And so it sort of ended the book with this hope that like none of this has been restored yet, but the future is, we can look to the future in hope. So it's kind of a fun yeah. book. So fun. Okay, we're going to introduce you to a guy who came from last last time's chapters, but he's just throughout the entire story and his name is Jonathan. So you remember there's King Saul who gets chosen and then um, David, when he slays Goliath, all of a sudden captures the heart of the whole nation. And remember, he's been secretly anointed to be the next king, but Saul doesn't know that yet. But he starts to get super jealous of all of David's conquests and all of his victories. And, and remember, he has a problem of listening to the people instead of to the Lord. And he still does it. And all the ladies sing about David. And they're like, Saul killed a thousand people, but David 10,000. He's the best. And they have all these parades for David. And Saul, like, hates David. And that's one of the reasons he'll have a downfall is he has a jealous heart. And he actually tries to kill David a couple of times. And there is this runaround with the two of them at the end of first Samuel, where they are just running from each other and he's hiding and everything. But throughout that whole story of Saul trying to kill David, Saul's son is actually David's best friend. And so he kind of is playing both sides a little bit, appeasing his dad, but also hiding David and strengthening David and being like David's friend. So and you love so much that Jonathan probably in his mind, the kingdom should have been his. Oh yeah. But he's just has such a good heart opposite of his dad that he recognizes the good in David, the potential in David, like what David brings to the kingdom. And he's such a champion of David. Like, yeah. I don't know if you ever meet someone who is so good at championing someone else's cause. Yeah. Which probably is the definition of, of friendship. And particularly you find covenant friendship with these two, not, not the ordinance covenants that we talk about, but the Bible will use this idea of friends making covenants with each other as opposed to like a consumer relationship. Mm. A consumer relationship is one where you're looking out for your own benefit. And that's okay sometimes, especially with your grocery store, right? Like you want to, you want to, it's for your own benefit, but there's a different type of relationship. That's a covenant relationship, a covenant friendship, which is in the journal, you can fill in us over me. Like the relationship is more important than what I want. The this relationship is more valuable than me getting ahead in my life. And the verses that are right there under Jonathan, who's our first hero, Jonathan is our first hero here, is in 1 Samuel 18, exactly what you were saying, Emily, that it says these two are knit together. Their souls are just knit together. And they have this, and he loves him like he loves his own soul. That's such a great definition of, of friendship. But in verse four, there's this really interesting thing where Jonathan takes off his kingly robe and he gives it to David and also his sword and his bow and he bows down. Those, that, those clothes were symbols of, of kingship. And, and in this scene right here, David, Jonathan, excuse me, is giving up the kingship to David because the Lord chose him and he knows that the Lord chose him. And so rightfully he could rally all the troops mm. and claim the kingdom for, for himself. But instead there is this scene where he gives up the throne right here over to, to him. And you and, love that it's such a private ceremony. You know, yeah. it is just this, um, if someone hadn't written it down, we wouldn't have even known it happened. And I just, you love Jonathan's humility and his like stepping out of the way. Yeah. So you'll find throughout so many different stories of them um, and their friendship with each other. I think honestly, this is probably the best story of friendship. Ruth and Naomi mm. and Jonathan and David are just like, this is what friendship looks like. And there's this verse that we want to connect to Jonathan uh, is in 23, 1 Samuel 23, and it's verse 16. One of those occasions when David is out in hiding in the woods, Saul's after him, he barely escapes. And saw Sam, bleh, Jonathan, oh my gosh, y'all, I need like puppets or something so you can see like David. And then um, David's out and hiding in the wilderness, hiding from Saul. And Jonathan comes out into the woods to find him. In this verse 16, 1 Samuel 23, 16 says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, and he went to David into the wood. 
and he strengthened his hand in God. Mm. And that's such a friendship line. Like that is the definition of a godly covenant friendship is to strengthen somebody else in God. And so that's our line for him. Hero number one, Jonathan, um, strengthen someone's hand in God. And our second hero is one of our favorite people. And we rarely talk about his story. And it's going to be Jonathan's son, who has an interesting name. You might have to practice saying several times, Mephibosheth. That's his name. Here is what happens. Um, They, an army comes in and destroys Saul and his boys. Everybody dies. Saul and Jonathan die. David is so sad about it. And at the time when it happens, that army comes in and conquers. There is this little verse in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, that you might not even notice, but you want to pay attention to it. It says, and Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Okay, that's all we know about him at the beginning. We just have this one verse. And and you can just imagine in that time of like upheaval and turmoil. And this nurse grabs this five-year-old boy and is trying to get him out, right? He's the only one left of the family. And she's trying to get him out. And there is an accident, and then we don't hear anything about him for a long time. And then David continues that battle and finally takes back over the kingdom. And we're going to go now to 2 Samuel 9. And once he has, has recovered or reclaimed the kingdom, David says, Is there yet any that are left of the house of Saul? Because I want to show them kindness for Jonathan's sake. And you just love that that is how important that friendship was, that relationship was. And so there was one man from the house of Saul. It was a servant named Ziba. And he's all that is left. And so David calls for him and says, Is there any of the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba says to David, Jonathan had one son, but he's lame on his feet. And the king said, where is he? And so in verse five, King David sent and he fetched him out of the house where they were hiding, where they were living. He finds Mephibosheth. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold thy servant. So Mephibosheth is going to come into this relationship and thinks I will I will now serve the king. And and it's interesting to me that he makes reverence right away, that Mm. he's like, I don't want any trouble. I realize that you're going to be the king. I know my grandpa didn't like you. Like right off the bat. And and the normal thing to do is to, if if it's a competing king, is to wipe out their entire entire line, right? So that there's no chance of that competing line coming back. And it's so interesting that you, you feel the tension in that moment of him being like, I will be your servant. And um, David said to him, fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I'm going to restore thee all the land of Saul, your father, and you will eat bread at my table continually, which it's important to understand that phrase because in those days, the servants ate at a different place and they wouldn't have worn shoes and they wouldn't have had a robe and they wouldn't have worn rings and they were differentiated what happened. But if you ate at the king's table, then you were the king's family. Only the king's family ate at the king's table. And you love when David says, you're going to eat bread at my table continually. And, um, and, and Mephibosheth says to him, who am I that you would like give me this type of honor because I, I'm not even fit like to, to eat the crumbs. I, I'm like a dog, he tells him. And then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, I have given unto your master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. So your sons and your servants, you will till the land for him and bear the fruits of it that he will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, will eat bread always at my table. 
And um, in verse 11, he tells him one more time, according to all that my Lord, the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. So in 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. And I love that they want to tell us three times in a row, in case you did not hear it the first time, that Mephibosheth got to eat at the king's table three times, they tell you. So if there was any question in your mind what his position was in the family or what his rights were in the family, and, and I love that it ends with the reminder, and remember, something was wrong with him, right? He was lame on both of his feet, and you just love the lesson that is taught here. This is why we love Mephibosheth as a hero, because he reminds us that we are all welcome at the king's table. There is a seat for us at the king's table. And it doesn't matter if your life has been broken or hasn't gone the way you expected. It doesn't matter what your weakness is or where you're not. Um, don't meet up in the eyes of other people. Or feel like you can contribute like other people yes. can, right? It was like, what value do I bring? Yes. He might ask, you know? Yeah. And we love that he reminds us that there is a place for us at the king's table for each of us. That's what his story reminds us. We do love the story of Mephibosheth. And, and also just a shout out to David. <laughs> You're so proud of yourself. <laughs> a shout out to um, David. You just love David's heart that he's like the first, as soon as he's taken over the kingdom, my first act is who belonged to Saul. That is where I'm going to start because of, for Jonathan's sake. And yeah. just that covenant commitment that he had to Jonathan and seeing that through that is his first act. That's and, the first thing he does. And to mourn like the loss of Saul, you know, who, yeah. uh, who chased him and yes. tried to kill him his whole life. And when he dies, you'd think you would throw a party yeah. like, Oh, finally, ding dong. The witch is dead, yes. you know, but instead he mourns his death and David never takes over the kingdom while Saul is still alive. And he has two opportunities to actually kill Saul. And he doesn't. And he lets Saul know, like, I would, I will not lay a hand on you because you were chosen by the Lord to be the king. And so I'm not going to fight against you. All he does is run from him, yeah. you know, his, his whole life. And our third hero, her name is Abigail. And she actually, her story shows up in that running while David's running from the king. And so I, I, I think it's important to understand like the emotion that's involved in the story. One, David's running for his life. Two, he keeps showing kindness to the king and the king does not return the kindness back to him. At the beginning of 1 Samuel 25, where you find her story, Samuel dies, the prophet. And David had a close relationship with him and they had experiences together. So you just want to like add all this up yes. together to give David a little bit of grace here in the story. But um, they are in this by Mount Carmel and they are... Um, David is with all of his men in hiding and everything. And it's a sheep shearing festival. Um, this is the time when you kind of have a whole bunch of extra money because you sell the wool and he is near the household of this guy whose name is Nabal. And he sends a messenger to Nabal and he says, Hey, we've kind of taken care of your shepherds and I'm the future King and I'm going to keep taking care of you. Can you um, give us some food? Can you like spare some of your festivities with us? You know, and uh, he goes and Nabal actually says, who's David? I've never even heard of him. <laughs> and who's uh, and who's Jesse, his dad? I don't I don't even know who you're talking about. No. Why would I give bread to a stranger when I have my own house? No, you can't. And he it says rebuffs him and he like he sends back a message. It's like that just no. And David gets it and he is in a mood. Um, <laughs> keep in mind, he's emotional right now, y'all. And he, he gets in a mood and he's like, everyone get your swords. Let's go. <laughs> and he's like, I am going to level that entire house and everybody who's in it. And so they start marching towards the house. This is a temper tantrum that's happening right now. And there's this girl, her name's Abigail. She's Nabal's wife. And she hears the way her husband treated David and that David is coming in a hot fury. And so in chapter 25, it says she runs out to meet him. She makes haste, it says, um, in verse 18 and gets all these 
wine and bread and grapes and sheep and, and food and figs and, and, and puts them on all the animals. And she starts leading out with this parade to go meet David on his way. And he is just huffing and puffing, rah, 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 you know, as he's coming and she meets him. And when they meet in the road in the middle, she jumps off of um, her camel or whatever she's riding. <laughs> I put her on a camel and there's no evidence she's on a camel. <laughs> yeah. um, and she bows down to him. And this is in verse, um, uh, oh man, verse 23, when she jumps off. Oh, it's a donkey. Okay. It was it, so fun when it was a camel. Yeah. That maybe, was a big jump. Well, maybe it's a camel called ass. I don't know. That could be his name. <laughs> but she <laughs> just wanted it to be a camel so bad. Okay. She jumps off the donkey. Falls at his feet in verse 24. And then immediately says this. This is, I think, the most powerful part. Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak to you about my husband, who is kind of an idiot. I'm sorry, you know. But the initial thing that she says is interesting to me, where she just says, blame me. Don't blame him for what he does. Put your blame on, on to me who came with this generous gift. And she, she apologizes for in behalf of her husband and says to him, please like forgive me for what, don't even look at him. Just pretend like I did it. And I'm asking you for um, forgiveness in this situation. And it melts David's heart. And, uh, and she actually says to him, you don't want to do this. You don't want to be known as the temper tantrum king. I know what he did was wrong, but just calm down for a minute and just, would you just look at this gift and think about my kindness and think about my mercy and for, and, and blame it on me instead. And, and David says to her in verse 32, um, I am so lucky. Um, I thank God that he sent you to me today. Um, and he says to her, blessed be thy advice and you that kept me this day from doing something that I would have regretted. And I, this girl is the most heroic so far. I don't know. She's, I think this is so awesome the way yeah. that she, and she becomes a, a, a shadow and a type of Christ, you know, who says, who comes and pleads our cause and says, you know, the one, one of the greatest ways I think Jesus helps us forgive is when someone else has wronged us, he intervenes and he says, think of my gift. Think of my generosity. Think about me instead of the way that they've, that they've wronged you and let the good, my goodness kind of melt your, your anger away. And so she becomes our hero, hero number three. And the verse we have for her is that one in first Samuel 25, verse 33, blessed be thy advice. Uh, uh, just to remind us of the role we can play in being a peacemaker and mm -hmm. in intervening in, in troublesome situations. Yeah, doing what Jesus would, would do, do right. if he was here. Yeah. yeah. So that is, that's her. Oh, she's such a good one. Okay, now we're going to do a hero that is a group of people. And I don't know if you've noticed this word in the scriptures yet, or this phrase, this group. Um, but there is a group in the Old Testament called the Mighty Men of Valor. And we love them. We love everything about the Mighty Men of Valor. It's why we picked that word to be on our bracelets, by the way, for Summer of Heroes, Valor, because of yeah, who what it means and, and who they were. And what and they represented. And some of the things that you want to just know about the Mighty Men of Valor, they had three distinct characteristics, and it was strength, courage, and passion. You had to have all of those things to be a Mighty Man of Valor. And they were known for their bravery. Um, that word Valor, I love because it's the opposite of apathy. So when you think about um, men of war, these were not men who were at ease, right? We, we think about that at ease in Zion. That is not who these men were. They were men who had passion and strength and courage. It reminds you of that question that David asks right before he fight, fades Goliath to everybody yes. who was sitting at ease. And he says, is there not a cause? Yes. You can see like so much passion in that. And he's like, even if we lost like this is something worth fighting for. We yeah. can't just sit. It's a, there's a fire in, yes, in, them. in them. And yeah. we love that. Um, in the word valor, the definition is strength of mind or spirit 
that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness. And I just love that thought of like that strength of mind and spirit that they just are like, they know who they are. They know what they believe in. They know who they are for. And there's nothing that will make them back down. In my mind, I'm singing that song. You know that one that's like... Where it's like, I got an old church choir singing in my soul. Do you know that one? No. <laughs> it's so, it's like, I, like when you're just talking about that passion, I, that's what I'm thinking of. Like, don't you want an old church yes. choir singing in your soul? That's these people. I do want that. Um, so I love, um, this is also true about them that you will like. They generally were ordinary men until they established a relationship with God. And it mm. was from that moment forward that they would become these men of valor. Um, you In 2 Samuel 23 is where you start reading about these men. 2 Samuel 23, 8, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. So sometimes and, they're called mighty men. Sometimes they're called men of valor. But this was David's like best. And P.S., just a little footnote. Um, the end of second Samuel, like 21 through 24 is kind of a, they're kind of recap stories looking back. So that's why we're skipping ahead to second Samuel 24, because it's like this telling of these people who've been with him all along the way. Um, so we go through and he's going to list like the, this is who they were. This is what they did. He, one guy stood in the midst of the ground and defended it by himself, uh, against the Philistines and wrought a great victory. Um, there was one that was chief among three and he lifted up his spear against 300 and he slew all of them. Um, the another one slew two lion-like men of Moab. Um, they, it just goes through and it's telling you like, these are men who did amazing things. And that verse where he says, and he killed a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. Yeah. And you're like, that's just epic. There's like epic yeah. lines about them. Yeah. Don't you want to know more yeah. about that story? Yeah, you're like, totally. what's the time of snow? And all of them, you're like that, where they're listing these in chapter 23, 37 men is going to list that are like these champions of the camp. Um, they're these mighty men of valor. And I love, I'm going to take you into first Chronicles 12, because it's going to teach us again about David's mighty men. But it adds some things to it. And that's what you love about Chronicles. It just adds a little bit more into the stories we're already reading. So chapter 12 would be a companion chapter to 2 Samuel 23. And it talks about um, they were among the mighty men, the help, helpers of the war, it calls them, which we love. That's the phrase we chose for these heroes. They, they were helpers of the war. And in verse 2, it says they were armed with bows. And could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, which I love that part because I have boys who played lacrosse growing up. And it was all three of our boys played lacrosse and it was like their livelihood was lacrosse. And what they would do when they didn't have anything else to do is they would go in the backyard and they would throw a hundred balls with their right hand against the board and then they would throw a hundred balls with their left hand against the board because what makes an elite lacrosse player is someone who has a right hand and a left-handed shot. And I love that as I read that, I'm like, I just love seeing those men out there a hundred times the right hand, a hundred times the left hand. Like they were just dedicated to what they did. They were diligent in what they did there. And it says they were men of might. And men of war fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler whose faces were like the faces of lions. And they were as swift as the rose upon the mountains. They just were these men who could do amazing things. And in Chronicles, it tells us something really unique about these men. They say to David, um, thine are we, they said to David, and on thy side, thou son of Jesse. And... Um, they knew God helped him and that's why they wanted to be with him. And there's another line in here that I love. Um, they, um, all of these who came that could keep rank, it tells us they were not of a double heart. What verse is that people that's are going to want to be in verse 33, first Chronicles 12, 33. They were not of a double heart, but in 38, all these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to make David king over all of Israel. And I just love that they weren't just athletic. They weren't just trained 
in warfare, but they were like masters over their own hearts. Mm. Also, they, mm. they were good all the way through on the field and off the field. These were men who were really good men. And as we think about those men, these mighty men of valor that become really a signature of David, um, David's kingdom, right? You're, you're going to read about these mighty men of valor. You'll see that show up. I think it shows up like 37 times in the Old Testament, this reference back to these mighty men of valor. And when we read um, about these men, one of the things that we love to do when we're teaching our seminary class, so for those of you who teach youth Sunday school or um, seminary, we love to have our kids make their 37 list of heroes. Those people who have a good heart, who are dedicated, who are um, have courage, who stand up for what they believe in. Who are your 37? Um, and we'll, in a bit, we'll come back to these because David's going to talk about number 37 in a second. But while we're talking about the mighty men of valor, I also want to point out at the time in this kingdom, at the same time, there were also women of valor as well. And we meet one of them in 2 Samuel 20. And this is one of my favorite women in the Old Testament. She doesn't have a name. She's just called a wise woman. That's who she is. And I love when we encounter these women without names in the Old Testament, because sometimes I love the unnamed women for the fact that we can so easily put ourselves into their stories. And this is one of the women that I love to do this with. So what's happening is um, Sheba is leading the tribe away from David and Joab slays this man. And then Joab comes into this city to take it because that wicked man, Sheba, is hiding in the city. And so Joab surrounds the entire city and, and he's prepared to go in and capture the city. And then in 2 Samuel 20, verse 16, this is what happens. Then cried a wise woman out of the city. Hear, hear, say I, I pray you unto Joab, come near hither that I may speak with you. And I love to picture in my head this moment that here is these city walls and here is this army that has surrounded this whole city and all of a sudden the front gate like creaks open and this little lady walks out of the <laughs> gate. I'm like, where's the mayor? Yeah. You know, where's the like general of the army? But here comes this little lady. She just comes out and here's this captain up on his horse. And she just looks up and she says, here, here, um, are you Joab? Come here. I want to talk to you, which who just loves that her courage and her yeah. like passion in that moment. And when and the way that it's shown differently, right? Yeah. Like we talk about that idea of like they had strength and courage and yes. passion were those the three words. Yeah. Um, and she shows it differently than the guy who killed the lion in the time of snow, yes. but it's still courage and right passion. and passion of heart. Yeah. She's got an old church choir yes, singing in her in soul. That's happening in the background. <laughs> and um, when he comes to her on his horse, in my mind, the woman says, "Are you?" Joab? Maybe it was a camel. It wasn't. He's on a horse. It's <laughs> just kidding. Um, and he says, I am he. Then she said to him, hear the words of your handmaid. And he said to her, okay, I will listen to you. And then she spake saying, they were wont to say in old time saying, ask counsel at Abel. And so ended the matter. And I love this thought. What she's saying to him is in the olden days, people used to counsel together. You didn't just come take down a whole city. You talked about what was going on and that is what I want right now. That's what wise people do. They sit down and they're like, what is the problem here? She's like a Abigail. Yes. I've never like connected yeah, really the two is. together, but they have a lot of the same characteristics. Yes. And then she says this, I am one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why? And I just love the thought of that. She's like, I, I see what you're doing. I see what your intentions are. Um, you know, this is not hidden to me, but I want to know why. Why would you come in and destroy this whole city? And Joab answered and said, far be it, far be it from me that I would swallow up or destroy. That's not what's happening here. But there is a man, Sheba, who has lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. 
if you will deliver him only, I will spare the city. And then the woman says to Joab, who I love this woman so much. Okay, stay here. I will throw his head over the wall. And she walks in. It's like, who loves it? That's the solution. She's like, can you wait just a minute? And so then the woman went unto all the people in her wisdom. And they cut off the head of Sheba and they threw it over the wall. And Joab returned to Jerusalem unto the king. I just love that she's like, can we just talk about this for a minute, this moment? But I love that of all the city, the person they choose to send out of the gate is this wise woman. And it just reminds me of the importance of women, even in great battles, in in moments of when the Lord's work needs to be done to rise up. I mean, he had... David had his 37 mighty men of valor, but you know what? He had a wise woman also in this city. And just the importance as we think about the heroes, both the men and the women of, of standing up and doing that. And, and I love that we called them the helpers of the war because there is a war of souls going on every mm-hmm. single day. Right now, we are living in it. And I love that we will have both the mighty men of valor, but we will also have the wise women in the city who stand up and and take on that fight. And I love that. Yeah, and in, in it's and again in their own ways, mm. right? It's cool that she goes back into the city, and we don't know who it's. But she rallies everyone together, yeah. and it says, "And they defeated this guy Sheba." And and I just love thinking that. Who, who did she bring in, yeah. you know, to that fight where she was like, who else wants to be a helper of the war? And especially when you have David, who is in the Bible, like portrayed as this messianic figure, right? Like a shadow of Jesus. And it's like, when you talk about being a helper of David, like zoom out and we're saying a helper of the war yes. really is for the cause of Christ. Like, yeah. and it's awesome that she like... She knew what she was defending and she knew what the cause was. And it's just really, really cool. There's just so much that's awesome about that whole section. Now we have to say a sad part. And (laughs) this is the only reason I'm sad about electronic scriptures is because in my real scriptures, I tore this part out because I just didn't want it to be in my Bible. Right. But let's just give you, I want to give this to you kind of in order a little bit. Um, That will make it a little bit nicer, I think. Um, once Saul dies, then there is another little skirmish that happens where somebody else tries to like take over the kingdom power vacuum comes right. And that once that squash, David, then, um, at the beginning of second Samuel is going to move into Jerusalem for the very first time. So this is where Jerusalem kind of becomes the, the capital city is during this time. And he, and he conquers this city by sending up his men through the water pipes and stuff like that. And Um, When they conquer it, they actually adopt everybody who's in the city to be kind of become part of it. And now he's created this capital city and for the first time unites all 12 tribes together as one kingdom. This is like why people look back on this age and say like, oh, that's the age we want again because it was the day of unity. It has, he called the name of the place Zion, which is cool Mm -hmm. that it was the place that united all the tribes together. Um, And And even when you go back to Jerusalem or to Israel and you get in there, um, they still have that city of Zion that everybody knows about, which I think is just awesome that clear back then that name has carried on. Yeah. And they look like the book of Chronicles does. It looks back on the history to give hope for the future yeah. of this, of united again, of a, of a messianic figure coming a King. Um, and so one of the first things that he does in this kingdom is he brings the ark in the ark's been in another spot in Israel. And he not only wants it to be the political capital capital, but he wants it to become the spiritual capital. And so he wants to bring the ark of the covenant Um, this symbol of the presence of God into the center of the kingdom. Um, And so second Samuel six is a story about him doing this and bringing it in. And I I can't talk a long time about this because I'll be long winded, but this really is like such a rad, rad chapter, chapter six, this parade of bringing the, the, the ark into the city and the sacrifices that are made. And one of my favorite parts about it is that David dances that he takes off his kingly robes 
And he kind of just like, I'm not the king in this parade. Sort of like, remember that story of Handel's Messiah and the king stands up and now everyone does that. He's like, I'm not the king in this parade. God's the king. And he dances and his wife sees him out the window and she actually like gets mad at him. And she's like, you look like such a fool (laughs) dancing and leaping the way that you did. That's in verse 16. Um, And he answers back to her and he says um, in verse 21, and he says, it was before the Lord. Like that, I was dancing for the Lord. And if I look like a fool dancing for the Lord, I'm going to look like a fool dancing for the Lord because uh, he's worth it. And so he brings the ark in and um, makes it now the spiritual center. The next chapter, which we have nothing in the journal about, but you just want to know for the rest of the Old Testament, Second Samuel chapter 7 is one of the most important chapters in the storyline of the Bible, because this is where David says, I live in a really fancy house and God lives in a tent and I want to build a temple uh, here. And God says to David, you will not build the temple. Thank you for your offer. You will not build the temple or build me a house. Instead, I'm going to build you a house. And by that, I mean, I'm going to build you a dynasty and from your line of kings will come a future king. And this is where you get that promise of one day, a messianic king coming from the line of, of David. So that's a really important chapter, um, you know, in, in the story. Then comes the next story, which is torn out of my other Bible. (laughs) And it's in second Samuel chapter 11, where David is on his, um, roof, one night and, um, and we get introduced to a woman whose name is Bathsheba. And she is one of our grandmothers of Jesus. She's one of the women who is mentioned in Matthew chapter one as one of the grandmothers who Jesus is going to be a descendant from in the house, in the lineage of, of David. And, um, uh, the way that she's mentioned in Matthew chapter one is not by name, but by her husband's name. And his name is Uriah. And the sad part about the story is that Uriah is one of the mighty men of valor. He's one of the 37 of, of David. So it just kind of is another dagger to the story. But um, you'll see in the journal, we call this the forefront of the hottest battle that David was so victorious in all of his other battles. But in this particular one, um, he lets down his guard. He doesn't apply the trust in the Lord that he had in, um, in all those other battles to this different kind of battle. And you may know the story. He sees, um, Bathsheba bathing on the roof and he calls her into him and, Uh, she ends up becoming pregnant. And then he tries to cover it up by bringing Uriah from the war. And Uriah is so noble. He's one of these mighty men of valor that he sleeps on his porch because he's like, I can't sleep comfortably in my house, you know, with another 36 or all out in the battlefield. So no. And so David's like, so finally David sends him to the forefront of the battle um, to be killed. And it's so interesting in verse 16. So second Samuel 11 Verse 15 is where you're talking about set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. Hmm. Isn't that such an interesting line that you think about? He, He put him right in the place where the most valiant men were. And in my scriptures, don't have your feelings be hurt. I wrote where David should have been. Yeah, this is when I disassociate myself from. <laughs> it's where, where David should have been is where the valiant men were. Yeah. And, and, and by accident, he wasn't. Yeah. He was in an idle place where not good things were going to happen. Yeah. And it, the whole chapter begins with this line. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab and his servants but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Hmm. And uh, just the writer of this sets this whole thing up when he's like, the time when kings are supposed to go forth to battle. Yeah, and this other line where he knew the valiant men were. Yeah. You just know right away this is going to be a mistake. But this is one of the things that we love is um, that, that out of this mistake is where Jesus will come. 
out of yeah. and he will redeem that mistake eventually and i just i love the thought of that because we've all had those moments where maybe we were somewhere we shouldn't have been and we did the thing we shouldn't have done and it does not write us out of the story of jesus that it, thing does not write us out in fact it seems to write us right in yeah to that story and that, these other two sections that we have right there are short, are, are, a, are a call to that i think if you read second samuel 22 um it's going to remind you of the Psalms because the Psalms are all written by David or attributed to him after this time. And you see Psalms of lament and Psalms of praise. And you, you figure out that, um, yes, people make mistakes, but it doesn't disqualify them from Jesus. It doesn't disqualify them from the work. It doesn't disqualify them from praise and thanksgiving. And so David's song in chapter 22 is such an awesome thing to like, look at the way he looks back on his life. There's not a central focus. He, he does recognize his mistake, but that's not the focus of his life. The focus is a God who forgives and restores and makes good of mistakes. And then that 2 Samuel 24 chapter, which is really, really cool chapter when, um, when he wants to move the, the tent to Mount Moriah, uh, the, the ark mm -hmm. to Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered up Isaac and where Solomon will eventually build the temple. Um, when he wants to move it there, he goes to buy that land from the guy who owned it. Aruna is his name at the end of chapter 24. And he says to him in verse 22, take whatever you want from this. Like you, if you want all of my oxen, if you want the land, you can have it. If you want the whole threshing floor, if you want all the wood, it's all yours. And, and David says back to him, um, in verse 24, no, I am going to buy it from you at a price. I'm going to pay something for this because I will not offer burnt offerings unto the Lord of that which doth cost me nothing. And it seemed um, at one point of his life, like he forgot that lesson a little bit, but it's not one he forgot entirely that he's just like, oh, to be a mighty man of valor requires sacrifice. It's going to require a price to pay. And it's one I'm willing to pay because... Like he said to his wife, it's for the, it's for the Lord. Yeah. So good. Um, that is one of our favorite verses. Second Samuel 24, 24. It's just that thought of that, which costs me nothing. And it makes me think of Joseph Smith. And um, what is the quote I want to think of right now that it will, it, you will sacrifice. It, it costs the best blood of the yeah. night, the 18th century, yeah. whatever that line is, yeah. 19th century. Um, that, that believing actually is going to cost something of us. Like believing doesn't make your life easier. Um, it, it actually comes with a cost, but I love that as we look at these mighty men of valor and the wise woman and David, that everybody is willing, um, to pay for what they believe that they, they are willing to like cling to and fight for what would be evidence of that belief for them. Yeah. And it's making me love this word more and more, that idea of Val, a, a person of valor is someone who, like the wise woman, I know my cause, right? Like, and yeah. so I'm not just, I'm not just doing this because everybody else is doing this, or I'm not just saying it because everyone else is saying it, but I can tie it back to a cause. Like mm -hmm. I am, what, you know, like, do you pay your tithing just to pay tithing? It's like, no, I'm a helper of the war. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Are you sacrificing time just because you're supposed to sacrifice time? It's like, no, I, I have passion for this. Because of who's asking, it's, it's for the Lord. And so I'll dance for him. I'll pay the price for him. I'll do whatever it is. And it just gives it, I, that's where the passion yeah. comes from that then, that then like sparks and fuels that yes. action, right? Which is so good. And what's going to happen is David and Bathsheba will have a boy whose name is Solomon. And this, this happens um, way after the fact of this. And Solomon will become the king. Um, David asks to build that temple for the Lord. And, and the Lord says to him, that is not your job. That's not your calling. Even though he lays out the plans for it. And even though he buys the threshing floor for it. Uh, it's kind of like a Moses moment where he has put in everything for this moment. And then the Lord is like, that's actually not your job. Yeah. That is going to be Solomon's job. And I love that that thought of sometimes we do the great work, 
but somebody else rises up and continues that work and that's how the work goes forward. And you have really, it's funny you tie them because he is, it is like a David, uh, I mean, I mean, a, a Moses, Joshua moment in that chapter two, when he meets with Solomon and he, and he gives him his advice and yeah. he says like, make sure you put God first, make sure you do any, you know, and just almost hands on that baton, like Moses did to Joshua. Yeah, Joshua. And I love that. And so, um, in first Kings now we're moving to first Kings chapter three, and this is going to be our last hero. It's going to be Solomon. Um, so we had a, a little diversion with David for a minute cause you couldn't miss all those good stories, but now we're back to our fifth hero and what happens in first Kings chapter three, verse five in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, ask what I shall give you. And I think that's so interesting. Like if, if you were to just stop right now and think to yourself, if the Lord came to you right now and he was like, what do you want me to give you? Like, that'd be such a fun thing to do in class with yes. your family, right? Like yeah. what, what Start do you thinking about? What would you ask for? Like if you had, it's like a genie moment. I, almost. <laughs> yeah. Where you're like, okay, but let me think of my list of things that I actually need you to do. I'm going to choose this, whatever it is. And Solomon said, you showed under your servant, David, my father, great mercy. As long as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness, of heart with you. And you kept for him this great kindness that you said. And then I love when he says in verse seven, I am but a little child. I don't even know how to go out or come in. He says, and I'm, I'm in the midst of this great people. I don't even know what I'm doing. And then here is going to be this moment when he's going to ask for his one thing he gets to ask for from the Lord. And it's in verse nine. And he says, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge the people that I might discern between good and bad. That is what I want, which is so interesting. And even the Lord thinks it's interesting because he says in verse 11, because you asked this thing and did not ask for yourself a long life, or you didn't ask for riches for yourself, or you didn't ask me to kill everyone who's against you right now. Um, but all you asked for was understanding to discern. I will give thee a wise and an understanding heart. And I love the thought of that, that he's like, just, will you just give me an understanding heart that I will know what to do? And I think about this a lot. What does an understanding heart actually look like? Um, and what if you were to pray for that? Just let me have an understanding heart. What would that look like? And it reminds me of a story that I can't resist telling a long time ago when my kids were little, Greg used to travel out of town all the time and I hate sleeping by myself. So I would go and sleep at my mom's in my old bedroom. And this one time I went and I had all my kids on the floor and I was laying in my room and all of a sudden, for some reason, the neighbors next door had gotten this dog like it wasn't there the month before. And then all of a sudden it was there and it was this gigantic dog with the loudest bark you have ever heard. And every time a car drove past the windows, that dog would start barking and it was all night long barking the whole, like none of us slept the whole night. So I woke up the next morning and I went downstairs. My mom was eating breakfast and I sat down next to her and I was like, you've got to do something about that dog. And my mom says, what dog? And I'm like, are you kidding right now? That dog next door. Did you, do you not hear it barking? And my mom says, just keeps eating her cereal. And I'm a problem solver. So I'm like, listen, right off the bat, I know you can't have more than two dogs and they have three. So you could call the bound <laughs> and they would just take away that dog today. I tell her, plus you can't bark all night long like that. That's like, that is not allowed barking. My mom just keeps eating her cereal. <laughs> Nothing. I finally say to her, cause then I'm like, well, her room is on the other side of the house. So I'm like, do you not hear the dog barking? And she's like, well, let me tell you something. Um, I was talking to my neighbor the other day. They have a son who's really struggling. Um, so much so that he's tried to take his own life. And the counselor they are working with 
suggested maybe if they got him a dog, it would help him. And the neighbor told me it's actually working. The dog is actually working. And, uh, and so every time I hear the dog start barking, what I hear is the voice of that mom saying, I have a son who I adore. And this dog is helping us right now. And then the barking of the dog doesn't even bother me mm. anymore because I think about the boy. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, that is what an understanding heart looks like. That is it. My mom, I was going to call the pound that morning by 10 o'clock. I was going to have it taken care of. My mom had taken the time to gain understanding. And because of the understanding, then that thing didn't hmm. bother her anymore. And don't you love that thought of like, what might it look like to have an understanding heart? It's interesting because when you read in Ecclesiastes, who some people think, um, might, Solomon wrote, yeah, yeah, Solomon might have written. It's so interesting because it starts out, um, I forgot to look this up, but, oh, it's right here in Ecclesiastes one. Verse 13, when he's introducing himself as the writer. And I just love this clue that maybe it was him because he says um, in Ecclesiastes 1.13, I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things, he said. And then in verse 16, it says, and my heart had great experience. Mm. And I just love the thought um, that is who we see from him. And then what is going to happen is he's going to build that temple. And we are going to end today in 1 Kings 8, um, because that's going to be the um, temple dedication. It is the dedication of Solomon's temple, um, that temple that so many people look back and revere. And I love the thought of going through and reading this dedication, particularly because it is going to come into play with future kings who will look back to this temple dedication and find strength for battle from it. And particularly this one part where it says, um, when, the, when the people Israel be smitten down by the enemy because they have sinned against thee and shall turn again to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house, then you will hear in heaven and forgive the sin of the people. And when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they've sinned against thee, if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin, then you will hear in heaven and you will forgive the sins and you will teach them the good way. And if there be in the land famine and pestilence and locusts or caterpillars, or if the enemy is going to besiege, besiege them or whatever sickness there is, what prayer and supplication whatsoever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his heart, then you will hear in heaven in your dwelling place and forgive and do and give. And I love the thought of this. Um, if you can do this, then this is going to be the promise. And these will be promises that future kings will look back and say, okay, remember, this is what he promised in this house that has his name on it, that if we would do this, then he would do this. And doesn't it kind of make you want to start looking up other temple dedications? Yeah, it has before. I was just thinking as you were saying yeah, that. Like, that, like the Salt I was Lake like... Temple dedication is so interesting to look up and read about that. But And everywhere we... we've everywhere we've lived, Jenny and I have actually done that. Yes. We looked at the temple dedication of like our temple just to see like, what, what are, are the, the promises, promises of, you know? Yeah, and that would be so fun to do, to look up what is the temple dedication for the temple that you currently reside in those boundaries? And and what are the ifs and what are the thens mm. that come from that temple dedication? So we, we love that part too. So many good things. Five yeah. heroes. Yeah, and so, and our, so many good things. our fifth thing about Solomon is oh. we just combine those two together, you know, just that... Um, that understanding heart and his dedication, a dedicated heart. And that's actually our word too for the week is dedicated. And you're going to love the Hebrew of dedicated. You already know what it is and you just don't know that you know. Um, but it's Hanukkah. 
That's the Hebrew word for it, because that is a festival of rededication, you know, and, and maybe this week can be a Hanukkah for all of us as we consider those lessons, you know, dedicated again to having an understanding heart, dedicated yeah, again to be a friend. Hanukkah for the whole week and light it. I lit day. mine last night <laughs> because I, I, we just bought, we each bought a Hanukkah in Israel on our trip and I was so excited to use it that I just did. So you can this week too. And, and think, I mean, even these things, like, isn't that awesome to think like, I'm, I want to be dedicated again to be a helper of the war, to be a peacemaker, to remember yeah. the kindness. And look and, how fun. So you have, you should have one whole row of heroes. That's so crazy, isn't it? You should have yeah, one And getting row. down into these. Look, yeah, you already... of heroes um, that we have made it through so far. This summer we're doing so good. And I love just going back through and looking at the names and what have I learned from each of these Old Testament heroes that is making a difference in who I am becoming right now. Yeah. And if you are wanting PS, because we're about to do this right when this ends, um, on the app every day for on that daily section, um, is their scripture and their lesson and sort of a challenge that goes with it, almost that you could practice one day a week, like what made them, you know, a hero, which yeah. is kind of cool to do. So, so fun. All right, y'all. Okay, see you next see week. See you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.